we saw the people of God demand something pretty strongly of, of Samuel the prophet. They want a king. You remember Pastor John taking us through that, that passage. They want Samuel the prophet to appoint them a king. And it's worth mentioning, it's not like Israel hasn't had leaders before. Israel has had leaders. God has appointed them. They've been called judges. Different points, God appointing a judge to lead his people. Uh, but uh, this is different, uh, this, this point of, of, of Israel's history. What Israel is asking for is what we might call a hereditary leadership. What they want is a leadership that's sort of passed down from son to son. God's not appointing leaders anymore. In fact, the leaders that will be over Israel will be because they were born into it. They happen to be son of the previous king. We saw in the last chapter, Samuel made clear that this is clearly a rejection of God, of what God wants, um, or I should say of who, of who God is. But that chapter ends with, with God saying he's going to give them, in fact, a king. Uh, so when we come to our passage this morning, and what we'll be looking at this morning is the story of how the first king of Israel gets set up, Saul. Uh, it might sound like a story where God is giving in to his people. You know, it's like that parent, uh, and we, I face this, where you're, so you walk by, the, let's say, a candy store, and your kid's like, please, 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 please give me that candy. And the parent gives in, right, and says, okay, fine, after... You know, half a dozen pleas, right, no more than that, hundreds of pleases. Uh, looking at our story this morning about Saul becoming the first king, you might think, well, God broke down. Uh, the people wanted the nice, shiny, brand new king. They saw it in the store window, and they're like, God, please give it to us. Give it to us now. And God gives in. He gives them a king. Well, what I hope you'll see is that this is not a story in which God is giving in. God sort of is following the lead of the people, giving them what they want. In no way does God ever give in. And in fact, even in this story, what we see is God is the one who leads. God is the one who's always doing and accomplishing what he wants. It's true even when people are rejecting him, even when the people are rejecting God. Even in this case, God is leading. God is getting what he wants. And, and really, the implicit question to all this is, will we recognize that? And will we follow God? God always leads. God always does what he wants. So as we look at our story and we consider Saul, we saw the first, uh, the first couple of verses, if you look at verse 1 and 2, Saul, I mean, at first you might say this is a story of, of really an, an obvious case where you have a guy who's incredibly handsome and tall, and here's how he becomes king. Um, verse 2 tells us he was the most handsome in Israel. He was taller than anyone else around. If you look at verse 1, he's from a wealthy family. I mean, People, of course, are going to be excited to have this guy as king. You don't have to do a full season of The Bachelor for this one, right? He's the guy, <laughs> right? He's the guy. There's no other candidates. Any nation would want to have Saul as king. Saul is set up exactly to be what Israel wants. And so God is giving them what they want. God is going along. He's following Israel. But here, even in this selection, even in what he does with Saul, even as we begin to tell this story, God makes clear he's not abdicated. God is still in charge. God still leads. God still will always accomplish what he wants. So our story of Saul begins with some lost donkeys. First couple of verses, if you were to skim over those, you would see Saul's dad has some donkeys that have become lost, uh, and, and that's a big deal. Uh, in an agricultural society like that, your, your, your assets, your, your bank account, is uh, the, live, the, 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 the livestock that you have, right? Those are, like, those are your dollars, right? And so he has... Some huge assets, right? It's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars that have wandered off. So he sends his son, uh, Saul, and one of the servants to go out and find them. We've got to get him back. 
So they travel all over the place. Three days, we're told, they look, or they look around, and they can't find them anywhere. And Saul says they should head back. Look down at verse 5. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. We can't find these animals anywhere. I, I, I guess we just got to give up. We got to go back. The servant, though, remembers Samuel happens to be in a city. Samuel the prophet happens to be in a city that's close by to them. Samuel, maybe he can do this prophet thing, right? Help them. Tell them where to find these donkeys. So they head into the city, and it so happens that God had already spoken to Samuel the day before that Saul was headed in. Uh, so look at the verse 15. It's up on the screens as well. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I'll send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. You know, anytime God speaks in, in, our, in these next two chapters, it's, it's significant what God says, what he says, what he doesn't say. Israel wants a king. We've, we've said that. And God's going to give them someone, but it's going to be on his terms. Notice, God is the one who's picking Saul. God, is, God doesn't say, hey, so you guys, tell me, tell me what you're thinking about, right? What do you want? That, that doesn't happen here. God is the one who's going to pick the king. And he picks Saul, but notice how he refers to Saul. Samuel, God tells Samuel that he's going to anoint Saul, this is verse 16, to be prince over my people Israel. Not king, prince. There's a deliberate word that's used here. There's a Hebrew word for king. It's not used here. Another word is used here. It's translated prince, but a better way to understand this is an anointed leader. God is going to anoint a leader over his people. Why, why is it being put this way? Because... No matter what's happening, God is always leading. And what that means is God is still king over his people. Yeah, sure, he's going to give them a leader, and they're going to want to call him king, right? They're going to refer to him as king. They're going to talk about him as king. But God is and always will be king. Saul will serve under the kingship of the Lord God. He's a vice king. God still leads. God still sets the agenda. God still says what will happen. And that includes even how he will accommodate what the Israelite people is. And even the way he's doing it, he's establishing, yo, I'm still in charge. <laughs> I still establish what happens. And to top it all off, God makes clear, I'm going to set a leader over you. I'm going to bring Saul to you. Samuel's going to anoint this guy. But he's going to lead. Notice it says they're God's people. Three times in this passage, you can see it highlighted up on the screens. Three times in this passage, it's mentioned, these are my people, right? He's going to be prince over my people, Israel. He will save my people from the Philistines, for I've seen my people. That repetition is intentional. Saul's going to become a king, but they're never going to be his people. They don't belong to Saul. He's a steward. He's a vice king given, given by God to the people because they still remain God's people. And he's still their God. He's still their God. He's still leading. It's a point that's made a little bit later on, even in the passage. Later on, when Saul, Samuel is actually going to anoint Saul, it's mentioned, this is verse 1 of chapter 10, Saul is going to be set as prince over his heritage, over God's heritage. That word heritage is another way of saying God's inheritance. You think about inheritance. When you, an inheritance is something that's due to you, right? There's a will that's written and said, here's the things that are going to come to you when this person dies. This is your inheritance. And God is saying, these people... Israel, they belong to me. They are due to me. That's still the case. Even as the people are trying to do what they want to do and follow after other nations, 
these people need to recognize and any future leaders of the people need to recognize they belong to God because God still leads. God still leads to accomplish what he wants to do, even when the people are thinking they're going to get what they want and do what they want. God is, in everything in how this is being established, God is saying, I'm the one who does this. God's leading to set a king over them. God's leading and even how he is letting them know he thinks of this king. This is a leader. I'm appointing him. I'm still king. He, he's leading in even all the ways this king will operate in and how he will look at the people. He should always look at the people, not as his people, as God's people. And all this, it's establishing something very clear. There's one undisputed, always and forever king over Israel, and it's the Lord God. So let's get back to our story. Saul and the servant walk into the city right as Samuel's coming to the gate. And God tells Samuel, okay, here's the guy. And so Samuel, and seeing Saul, tells him in verse 20, don't worry, the donkeys have been found, which is a nice flex as a prophet, right? Because obviously Saul did not tell him those donkeys were missing. He immediately says, look, donkeys have been found. And then he says to him, and for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Which is Samuel saying, on one hand, it seems to be saying, it's almost two different ways of understanding what Samuel's saying here. He's saying, look, as king, you're going to get all that you want, tax money, servants, land. But I think there's another thing that's actually Samuel saying. For whom is all that is desirable in Israel is saying, like, you're the, you're the kind of guy they're going to want. And they're going to focus on those things. But again, as we'll see, God's making clear, this is about what God wants. God leads us. Now, Saul is taken a little bit back by this. Verse 21, Saul answered, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? Is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Now, Benjamin is a small tribe. But this is, Saul is from a wealthy family, right? He's not a nobody. So he's sort of, you know, we see this a little bit from in, in this passage. Saul's sort of unsure what's happening, whether he wants to go along with this. Samuel, he's like, I'm, I'm not listening to you. He ignores him, <laughs> invites him into the, into, into, the, into the city to have a meal with him. He puts him at the head of the table, gives him the choicest meat. Saul has to be thinking, what's going on here? Saul and his servants stay overnight, and the, night, the next day before they leave, Samuel pulls Saul aside. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. And Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, and kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. So again, God is speaking here through Samuel, and we see the same things. It's the Lord who's anointing Saul over Israel. Not Israel. God is appointing this. The people are making this happen. God is making this happen. God is leading. It's God's initiative. And again, we see the mention here. It's said directly to Saul, God is going to treat him not as a king. Everyone else will. But God is going to treat him as his anointed leader prince over his people, to reign over people who will still be, notice, the people of the Lord. They belong to me. Now, to confirm all this has happened, Samuel gives Saul three signs, and as a way of just saying, this, this is true. This will happen. The first sign is two men will confirm. As, once he leaves, once Saul leaves Samuel, two men will come and tell him, yep, the donkeys have been found. Again, saying, oh, Samuel, Samuel really is a prophet. This has happened. So two men will confirm the donkeys have been found. The second sign will be some more men will come and share some food 
It's food that is meant to go to the anointed priest in Bethel. Saul being able to eat this food is, is saying, just the same way God especially anointed this priest, you can know that God has especially anointed you. The third sign is to confirm that God is going to especially empower Saul to lead Israel. Because as he comes out to Bethel, we're told in verse 6, the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy and be turned into another man. All these signs that God is giving, it's to show one major thing. God is the one making this happen. God has appointed Saul. He's with Saul to make happen what's going to happen, Saul being leader, and he's going to equip Saul to do the things that God wants Saul to do. God is leading the way, making clear, one undisputed, never been defeated champion of God's people. God is king. He always is king. God leads. He always leads, even, even when we think we've rejected him and have gone our own way. God always is accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. It's a point that's being made. It's a point that's going to be made to, to Israel in general and just how this is set up. But if you think about it, this is being a point that's being made to Saul very specifically. All these different directions that God is giving, like here's what's going to happen through Samuel. All these different signs, and here's what you're to do. Here's how you're to respond to this. You, think, you see what's happening here. God is saying, you listen to me. <laughs> the word of God is going to come through the prophet, and you listen to it. You follow it. You don't decide what to do based on what you want to do. You decide what to do based on what I tell you to do. The king always submits to God because the people submit to God. God leads. Later on in verse 25, Samuel tells the people the rights and duties of the kingship. Right? In front of Saul and all the people, as later on in our story when, when Saul is going to be appointed, Samuel is in, in that, that phrase, the rights and duties of the kingship in verse 25, is again saying, what is it saying? It's saying, here's how a king is meant to operate. Here's the ways in which a king should rule. Here's the responsibilities of the king. The king does not rule in any way that he wants to. He rules in the ways that I tell him to. Here's God's word. Here's who God is. God is still God. He's never stopped being God. No one can ever stop him from being God. God is still God. He leads in the ways that he's going to lead. He makes happen what he always wants to make happen. And that's true no matter what we do or what we say. God is still leading. So Saul heads out. And we're told in verse 9, and when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. So notice here, um, Saul is going to lead God's people. It's an interesting note here, and, and again, reinforcing, this is about what God is doing, God's initiative. Saul is going to lead God's people not based on how good-looking he is, how tall he is, how charismatic he is, how much money he is. Now, for sure, that's how we pick our leaders, right? We pick our leaders, our celebrities, based on how they present themselves, how good they look on TV, what their spouses look like, are their children put together, what their educational background is, all those kind of things are the things we like to pay attention to, the things we like to promote. I think it's interesting to notice here, God is preparing Saul to lead, and he prepares Saul to lead by doing what? Changing him on the inside. Changing his heart and his soul, and then bringing the power of the Spirit into his life. That is how God prepares us to lead. It's on that basis, the kind of things that God does on your inside. Because what God is doing on the inside is to prepare us to listen to him and follow him. Now, as a side note, it's possible to squander that. For God to bring changes into our inner life and for us to corrupt them and to not listen and to fall away, that unfortunately is what happens with Saul. That's another sermon, unfortunately, um, for what happens with Saul. 
But for now, the main point I want to point out is God is, is setting things up. He's leading the way. He's changing Saul's heart. He's going to send his spirit on him. Why is God doing all this? So things happen the way God wants them to. He's setting them up to happen the way that God wants them to, to lead, for Israel to be led in the way that God wants. Saul leads. All the signs that Samuel said were going to come to pass, what happens? Of course they come to pass. It's God. <laughs> they come to pass, confirming God is the one leading this, directing this, guiding this. So Saul finally makes it back home. He's been gone three days. His uncle happens to be there. And here's the obvious question. Like, what happened? Verse 14. Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, well, where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And we saw they were not to be found. We went to Samuel. Verse 15, Saul's uncle said, well, please tell me, what did Samuel tell, say to you? Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. For some reason, Saul doesn't say what happened. He still seems unsure, even after all that God has done confirm this. But again, God leads. God will always accomplish what he wants to accomplish, even with Saul sort of like not really saying the full thing of what's happened. So sometime later, and it's unclear whether it's a couple of days, a couple of weeks, or months later, Samuel calls the people together. Let's look down at verse 18 of chapter 10. <clears throat> and he said to the people of Israel, this is Samuel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So God's going to give them a king, but this is God's grace, isn't it? Making the same point that we said before. How they've gone about, it, gone about this has shown a fundamental rejection of God, wanting to do things their way. Again, just thinking about God has always been appointing leaders, and they're saying, no, we, we kind of want to do it. We want a royal family, and we're going to follow after that. God gives warnings about that, but God says, okay, I'm going to make this happen. But it's the key there is that, isn't it? I will make this happen. God is still in charge. That Here's an amazing thing to think about. Even in sin, even in sin, God still is in charge. God still brings about what he wants to. God still leads. So the people are going to come forward by a lot, right? And that's, that way of doing that is a way of showing God's the one picking, right, as the different lots come out. Israel's leader is going to be chosen, not by them, by God. Even as they're asking for a king, God is the one who's going to determine that. And that's done by the system that he has them set up here. So verse 20, that Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. And the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans. And the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, then, was taken by Lot. Here's the guy. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again to the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. It's not a great first impression from Saul, um, but he's still handsome and tall. And the reality is that's what matters. <laughs> right? That's the main thing these people are going to pay attention to anyway. Right? The guy is hiding. Right? You might think like, okay, maybe there's some stuff going on here. But man, he's good looking and he's tall. So verse 23, and they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, whoa, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, I, I think with a kind of snarky tone, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There's none like him among all the people. 
And all the people shouted, long live the king. God's giving the people, right, the king that they want. Samuel, Samuel points it out to them. The kind of guy you would have you wanted. It almost suggests that, like, if you'd given them someone else, they wouldn't have been like, no, no way. <laughs> right? God's giving them this people, and they immediately shout, long live the king. Notice here, God and Samuel never say, here's your king. <laughs> it's the people who say, long live the king. Saul, Samuel is made clear, I'm appointing a leader over you. God's still your king. You've rejected me. I'm still your king. They're the ones who immediately say, long live the king. They start shouting. They start celebrating. But in all this, even in this final moment, what we're seeing here, even in, in the fact that Saul is brought out, he's brought out because God says, here's where he is. In the way that he was chosen, in this whole story, all this emphasizes, yes, here's what the people want. But ultimately, it's always about what God wants. God is always accomplishing his purposes. He's accomplishing his purposes even with some standard people, even with a reluctant leader. In all these things, God is, is showing, like, I'm still making things happen in the ways that I want them to happen. For God is always leading. God is always leading. And because of this very key fact we said before, God is still God. He's still God. If you're going to believe in the God of the Bible, right, you've got this book, you're going to believe in the God of the Bible as described here, referred to as the Lord God, as Yahweh, it's to believe something. It's to believe he never stops being God. No matter what's happening around us, no matter what's happened in the past, what we're experiencing in the present, what we think will happen in the future, God never stops being God. And one of the things that we have in this book shown over the course of centuries and millenniums is God always leads. God always accomplishes his purposes. God always gets done what he wants to get done. God is always leading the way. He's leading the way in the minutes of each day, and he's leading the way even if it takes a millennium, generations upon generations to happen. God always will accomplish what he wants to have accomplished. Even, even when we think we can reject him and go our own way, God's way will always win out. So that's meant on one hand as an encouragement to us. I mean, a lot of times we look around and, and you look around, it seems like people are getting away with it, doesn't it? You might be thinking of people in your family, people you're related to. You can think of, of, of co-workers, other, other situations that you're aware of. And you're, you're, you're looking and it seems like people are getting away with it. They're getting what they want. They're doing what they want. The truth of the matter and the encouragement to us is that no matter what it appears might be happening, to read your Bible, and one of the good reasons to read your whole Bible, we read the whole Bible to see a course of history where all sorts of things happen. Like some crazy stuff happens here, right? Some amazing things happen. Some things like are terrible that happen here. And yet, in the final page of this book, at the course throughout human history, no matter what happens, in the final page, we see God wins. God leads the way to victory for himself and for all who follow him. God always is in charge. God is always leading the way to accomplish his purposes. And that's an encouragement to us. When we speak of God's purposes being good and just and righteousness, those aren't just throwaway words for us. Those aren't just sort of like, you know, we, we say them, but we kind of think like, well, you know, that's just a nice way to encourage us because we know that won't really happen. To read the Bible and to believe in God is to know God will always accomplish his purposes. No matter what situations, no one gets away with it. No one gets 
what they think they should get apart from what God ultimately wants. And praise God, what he wants is always what's best and good. All people will be held accountable. All of us will face God. And what we recognize is that God is always in charge. He always leads. That's an encouragement to us. When we look around, it looks like, well, people are getting away with it. That never happens. God always leads. He always accomplishes what he's going to accomplish. Of course, the encouragement there is also the flip side of that is a warning, isn't it? God always leading means that his purpose will, be hap- will happen. And to the degree in which what we do, no matter what we think we're doing, works with that, great. But to the degree in which that compromises what God wants, that goes against what God wants, we will suffer the consequences. We can reject God and think we're getting away with it. But God's promises, rejection of God will ultimately lead to judgment from God. And we see that sadly with Israel. God is patient in what he does, but he's not a pushover. He's never been a pushover. God does, in fact, bring a hard stop to Israel at various points. And God also does bring some things into Saul's life. When Saul has been set up to lead in the way God wants, we'll see later on, the degree in which Saul begins to, to do things that don't accomplish what God wants, well, God, <laughs> well, God makes sure some other things happen. So that's the warning we should hear today, isn't it? If God is always leading, if we think we can get away without following God, well, we begin to realize how far away we are from God and the disastrous consequences that come the farther away we fall from God. You know, one of the reasons I like to read the testimonies of faith from slaves is, um, is what you see from those testimonies, from those brothers and sisters, slaves who became Christians suffering under tremendous evil. One of the things you, you, you notice from their testimonies is their utter confidence that God is in charge. Their complete confidence that God is in charge. Think about this. They're under a cruel system with slave masters that abuse them, that, that violate them, that sell their children, and yet they have this confidence that God is in charge, and God is in charge to bring about good purposes. And so you see from their testimonies this belief that one day God will end it. He will end the evil of slavery. One day there will be freedom. And I want you to understand, that is not an obvious thing to believe. It's not obvious to believe that God is in charge when you're living in a system like that. We don't appreciate just how deeply embedded slavery was into our country. And it's almost like, imagine me telling you, uh, one day, like, we need to all get rid of our iPhones, right? One day, we'll be, there'll be no more iPhones, and no one will ever have them. It'll be illegal. I mean, you know what people would say. You will not take my iPhone from my cold, dead body, right? <laughs> like, that, that's, that's that, that would just, people would be like, no, never, right? I mean, that's, that's how slavery was in our country, how deeply intrinsic it was to people's lives, how people depended on it, leaned on it. It was worked all through everything that we are. It's impossible to imagine that go away. In fact, to live in that system is to think, look, yeah, God is definitely not in charge. <laughs> and yet, those faithful Christians, those slaves and the abolitionists who, who fought to free them, um, one of the things you, you come away with is this real belief that there is a God and he's always God. And even if it takes years and years and years, God will always accomplish what he wants to accomplish. God always leads the way to accomplish his purposes. And you only get that way by understanding who God is, isn't it? I mean, that's the only right response to this. God leads. Do we believe in this God? Do we trust in this God? And do we follow this God? Will we follow this God? God has never made clear the direction that he's going. I think God knows very much 
that we don't tend to listen. <laughs> we tend to get distracted. We tend to reject him over and over and over again. So that's why God in this day and age has made clearer than never before, here's how you find me. That direction is Jesus. God has said, I mean, throughout the history of the Bible, we see people not listening to God, not following God. He sends prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, all these different people, until finally he sent himself, until he finally sent his son, the son of God. To believe in Jesus, to seek after Jesus, is to know, yes, here is where God leads. And to find Jesus is to find the kind of change in your heart and life that you need. And it's no, it's no surprise that Jesus is called the light of God. He's called the one and only way to God. God sees that through Jesus, we're changed in the ways that we need to, given the heart that we need and the ears that we need and the will that we need to begin to fully see there really is a God, to have that kind of faith that brothers and sisters in the past had, when in the midst of terrible circumstances, to believe God is still in charge. God will still accomplish his purposes. God will win in the end, and so we're going to be with God. We believe in Jesus, and we're going to believe it, and we're going to follow God. In fact, to believe in Jesus is to believe that even in the most evil circumstances, an innocent man being crucified on the cross, God still leads, and God still wins. You believe that, and you see that, that gives you the kind of perspective to see every single situation in your life, every single moment of your life, every single relationship in your life, and to see them not sort of floating out, untethered from everything, out of your control. Right now, there might be situations, relationships, and you're trying to grasp onto them, and they're, you can't. You can't. To believe in God and Jesus is to be brought into the space where all those things have been gathered into his arms, and he invites you to be there with him and to know, I'm in charge. I'm leading. These things seem crazy and out of control, but that's why I got big arms. <laughs> And that's why we have a big Savior who saves us from all the situations that we face, from all our sins, and brings us in line with God and with his will and to know that the direction we're going always leads towards him and his kingdom, a kingdom that will never end, a kingdom where he wins, where he's God, and what he says always happens. God leads. May we be, may we be willing to follow him, to listen to his voice, to believe in Jesus, and to find the hope and security, to find the peace that only he can give. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time and for the opportunity to be together. And Lord, for this, this story of, of the first king of, of, of Israel, Lord, which on one hand feels like a, a disappointment. Here's your people rejecting you. But throughout this, Lord, the thread of the reminder that's begun since Genesis chapter 1, you're still leading and you're still in charge. And so, Lord, that's an encouragement, Lord. But as I said, Lord, there's also, Lord, a way for us to, to also take stock. Um, just because you are in charge and leading, Lord, uh, doesn't mean that we should just do whatever we want. It's a reminder, Lord, that uh, one day, Lord, we could fall short, uh, fall short of your glory, fall far away from your purposes, and be left out in the darkness, left far away from you. But, Lord, the testimony of the Bible is that we don't have to remain in darkness. That choice, Lord, stay there is, Lord, no one but we don't have to continue in. Lord, help us to hear your call, Lord, and we pray that your call, Lord, will be irresistible. A call to listen to you and to follow you. To first see, Lord, the, the light that is Jesus. 
happens, and then we brought it to this space where all the different situations in our life that we think are out of our control, where it seems like people are getting away and getting what they want, Lord, we're reminded, Lord, in fact, you're under your control, under your purposes. So, Lord, uh, help us to see with your eyes. Help us to see clearly where you're leading. And, Lord, uh, Lord may we follow you. Uh, Lord, may we trust enough in who you are and what you're doing, seeing all the ways in which you've worked with great confidence of where you will be taking us. Lord, we thank you that you're always God. May we always indeed be your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.